Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for July 20th, 2017. This is Peter Serena. This is the daily podcast of SlashFilm.com, where we bring you the latest news from the world of television and movies. On today's show, we are live in San Diego for Comic-Con. Jack Drew will come on and talk about entering the world of Blade Runner. Uh, And in the news, we will be talking to Jacob Hall about uh, the... Plans for the Spider-Man sequel, who's going to direct uh, a new HBO series, which is drawing a lot of controversy from the creators of Game of Thrones, and uh, Christopher Nolan's thoughts on Netflix, as well as a Mega Man movie from the directors of Catfish, and uh, Sony's plans for the future of the Spider-Verse. Right now with me, I have... Managing editor of SlashFilm.com, Jacob Hall. How's it going? It's going okay. My feet hurt because Comic-Con. <laughs> yes, you were just at a Game of Thrones exhibit that is outside the convention center. What can you tell us about that? It's pretty fun if you're a Game of Thrones fan. A lot of photo ops, a lot of cool interactive video experiences. If you're going to wait a few hours for it, I wouldn't recommend it. But if there's a short line and you're a huge Game of Thrones fan, it's, it's a pretty cool little thing. Yeah, so if you want a photo on the Iron Throne. Yeah, the Iron the Throne, the Dragonstone Throne, a 
swerving GoPro will will film you swinging a sword at a White Walker. It, it's just come, a lot of downtime. Bring a friend. Be prepared for a wait. And no issue. All you're getting are a series of photo ops and not anything mind-blowing before you get in a long line. Uh, speaking of Game of Thrones, the creator or the showrunners of Game of Thrones have pitched a new series to HBO and is called Confederate. Uh, can you tell us what what is the pitch for the show? Oh boy, uh, Confederate is a alternate history, uh, I guess, science fiction tale. If you want to go get specific, about a version of America that has endured several civil wars, where there is a dividing line between North and South, where slavery is still an institution in the South. And the show, the show's basic pitch is that it will follow the people of this world on both sides of the demilitarized zone that separates the United States, or the former United States, abolitionists, slaveholders, corporations, journalists, and... Freedom fighters, politicians. Yeah. And as you can imagine, this didn't go well over on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe because two white guys are the, the showrunners that are pitching this, right? Yeah, the, the, the issue is that we have two white men pitching a, sto- a racially charged political story. And I'm of two minds of this. One, I love Game of Thrones. I love alternate history science fiction. There is a long, long history of science fiction stories that explore big what-ifs. I mean, just look at television right now for Handmaid's Tale and Man in the High Castle, which pitched these dystopian near-future or even modern Americas where evil won and used that as an excuse to explore... Uh, alternate sides of the American dream or alternate sides of what we view as our daily lives. And also, I love Game of Thrones. But then that immediately brings us to the other side of the coin, which is that Game of Thrones' weakest elements tend to involve a lot of white savior stuff. They tend to involve maybe some unintentional but misguided um, depictions of of people of color that aren't as nuanced as they could be. And so I I get the knee-jerk reaction. I get why people would be upset by this. But at the same time, I'm a believer in don't judge something until you've seen it. So uh, I'm going to have faith that this will be something that is political in the best ways. And the fact that the press release mentions uh, the the full writing staff, which includes some veteran television writers who are people of color and and who, and who, who are black, and will hopefully be there to tell the two white guys, hey watch this or watch that <laughs> and you know I'm, I'm a white man I, I, I'm sorry if I'm saying anything horrible I, I, I try to I try to walk that minefield because I know that even people associated with Slash Film had some re- opinions about this and I respect that but at the same time I love Game of Thrones too much to disregard them entirely and you know what I like dangerous science fiction that likes to push buttons what do you think Peter? Um, I agree with you. When I first heard this concept, um, not even thinking of, of the racial implications of the creators and and what they have previously created, uh, the idea at the center of this is just such a fascinating sci-fi concept. Um, and I can just imagine how it will be used to juxtapose issues that are going on today um, with the, you know what's going on in this alternate reality uh it's interesting because when my first year at sundance was in 2004 and i saw a film there called the confederate states of america which was this documentary or fox documentary? documentary yeah uh 
which took place, basically chronicled America as if the Confederacy had won the Civil War. And uh, the movie got picked up, and I think Spike uh, Lee ended up producing it, uh, distributing it. Uh, It got a a wide distribution for, you know, a fake documentary. Uh, And it kind of went off the same concept. A little more comedic, Uh, though. Yeah, it it was definitely way more comedic. Uh, But I I do think that it is interesting, like, what, how different would our world be if that one event went completely the other way? And I'm always, I'm always pulled to those kind of concepts, and I always loved, and I I hate to compare something like this to what I'm going to compare it to, but I always loved the Marvel What If comic series and um and i i love world building and i feel like this would be a chance to explore those things and explore like not just as on the surface but some deeper interesting political and uh humanity you, you know elements of humanity yeah and in, in a greater way yeah, um, as long, i think as, as long as they handle it responsibly i think this could be a really interesting thing and I don't know. In, in an era where I think too many people play it safe, I like the idea of a show that's going to get people angry and hopefully in good ways and not in the wrong ways. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's move on. Another thing in the news uh, yesterday was Christopher Nolan uh, was asked. Well, he, he he's on his press tour for Dunkirk, right. and he's being asked all sorts of things. Uh, Chris Nolan notoriously won't give interviews to... Uh, only give interviews to select people. So usually it's only people asking questions about the movie. But every once in a while, there'll be a question about something else. And, uh, you know, he answered, he mentioned that he has seen La La Land three times in the theater. Um, didn't give a really good answer why, but uh, that was a revelation from Chris Nolan. Another uh, question that was thrown his way was about Netflix. And,. Basically, uh, I believe it was IndieWire asked him if he would ever be interested in making a feature film for Netflix. Uh, and his, his response was pretty blunt. He said, quote, no, well, why would, I, why would you? If you make a theatrical film, it's to be played in theaters. I think the investment that Netflix is putting into interesting filmmakers and interesting projects would be more admirable if it weren't being used as some sort of bizarre leverage against shutting down theaters, it's so pointless. I don't really get it. And, um, elsewhere, he also, um, said that Netflix was a, uh, has a bizarre aversion to supporting theatrical films that they have a mindless policy of everything having to be simultaneously streamed and released, which is obviously an unattainable model for theatrical presentation so they're not even getting in the game, and I think they're missing a huge opportunity. Okay, so the question here is, first of all, uh, we know Nolan is a old-school guy. He loves film. He still shoots on film. Mm-hmm. Most of Dunkirk is shot on 70-millimeter film when every, the whole rest of the world has gone digital. Um, and, you know, he's... Uh, while everybody else wants to go the VOD model, he still is touting the theatrical experience. Is Netflix the end of the theatrical experience? Like, I, I, I don't see that as as the definitive, like, Netflix is anti-theatrical. Because I, I've heard Netflix 
uh, Netflix had say that they would love to release their films day and date theatrically and on the streaming platform at the same time. Um, but is that, what do you think, what do you think about what Chris Nolan is saying here? Uh, Christopher Nolan is both incorrect and correct, in my opinion. Uh, he's correct in that we should be preserving the theatrical experience. Movies like Dunkirk do deserve to be seen on the big screen. But I think he's also maybe not quite taking into account the full picture that not everybody has access to a 70mm IMAX theater to go see Dunkirk the way he wants them to see it. Small-time filmmakers um, whose movies will never be seen on the big screen are suddenly... Uh, well known because of Netflix. I mean, let's look at just a random example off the top of my head. Uh, Ava DuVernay uh, made a documentary called Thirteenth last year. More people saw Thirteenth through Netflix than would have, ever would have been seen if it had been released theatrically. And Netflix is one of the most powerful places to launch indie filmmakers and small films. And well, yes, Christopher Nolan's correct. Movies that he makes deserve to be seen as big and as loud as possible. But to condescend that why would you make a Netflix movie when there are hungry, talented people searching for that audience, mm. it, it's, it's, it strikes me as a little pompous. Yeah. But you know what, Christopher Nolan has earned the right to be a little pompous? He's Christopher, he's Christopher Nolan, yeah. uh, and, he, and he is who he is. And maybe Nolan doesn't have to direct a Netflix movie. Maybe, you know, uh, it, it is a little disappointing like, uh, to hear him say this. Uh, and like you say... Not everybody can see Dunkirk in an IMAX theater. I think someone on uh, the the Twitter feed responded to me that his near because I told him the the best way to see Dunkirk, even though I didn't love it, I said you know you should probably see this in an IMAX theater on projected in seventy millimeter. And he was like the nearest seventy millimeter IMAX theater is over six hour drive for me. Should I drive? And I was like, no, <laughs> you shouldn't drive six hours. You know, twelve hours both ways to see this movie, and not everybody is going to see it in in that kind of circumstance. Most of them are probably going to see it projected digitally in a small local theater, and um, you know, probably under poorer conditions than Chris Nolan can ever imagine for an exhibition uh, uh, thing. But I don't know. You know, I spoil because you're in LA and I'm in Austin. Yeah. Where there are thriving theatrical scenes, where, where going to movie theaters, you have options, and your options are, you know where the good theaters are, you know where the bad theaters are. You say that theater is crap, this theater is good, so I go to the good theater. Whereas a lot of people don't don't have those choices, for sure. And I, I think Nolan takes for granted the position he is in right now. Uh, I think if if Nolan went back to the day of him with his first film, The Following. And he was making that today. Netflix, why would you? He would not be saying that. Yeah, agreed. I, I feel like the, the the following would have been a perfect movie for Netflix Netflix acquisition. Also in the news is a Mega Man movie is in the works with Catfish directors in final talks to write and direct. I have with me right now Jack Giroux. Um, Jack, you've seen Catfish. Yes. You've seen... Uh, Plenty of episodes of the show, more than I care to admit, yeah. Have you seen Paranormal Activity 3 and 4? I have, but my memory of them is very hazy. And they also directed that movie Nerve, 
Which is a very pleasant surprise. The uh, D- Dave Franco, Emma Roberts thriller. Yeah. Um, it, it's a surprise? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a really fun, kind of thoughtful, surprisingly thoughtful B-movie. Well, in 2015, 20th Century Fox announced they were developing a movie based on the video game series Mega Man, popular platformer. Um, uh, that was... You know, on Nintendo, Game Boy, a bunch of different uh, systems. Uh, Henry Jost and Ariel Schulman, uh, the duo behind Catfish, have now are there are now in final talks to write and direct Mega Man. Seems like a leap for them because I, I don't like it. It seems like a they've been mostly dealing with these really human stories, right? And this is kind of um, very fantastical. What, what is your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on this duo being the ones to bring Mega Man to the big screen? I would say, after Nerve, I'm kind of looking forward to what they do next, whether it's Mega Man or something else. Um, I just thought, yeah, I was just really surprised by that movie. And like you said, they make, I guess, more <laughs> character-driven or human stories. Yeah. And, but Nerve, I think, showed that they're good filmmakers. Like, it's a very well-paced movie, really well shot, it's slick, and the performance is really good. Like, Dave Franco is very good in that movie. I think they showed a lot of strengths and growth with that film. Um, I don't, nothing about it makes me think big budget Mega Man movie, but... but nothing, no, nothing about these guys, or, you know, Mega Man is basically a guy, or is it a robot? A guy in a robot suit? I'm looking over to Jacob Hall, who is cyborg. in the corner. He's a cyborg. Uh, he's a cyborg bo- uh, boy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he is shooting his his his. He has this gun, uh, this blaster gun, and he's fighting uh, Doctor Wiley. Uh, I don't see the human element here. Grasping for straws, but their past work is about technology and how it informs or has changed our lives, mostly social media. Maybe there's something there, <laughs> some connection. Uh, See, this is why know. Jack. We'll find out in five years when the movie Jack, comes this, out. This is why you work for Slash Film because I don't know how you pulled that out of your butt, but that that was good. That Thank was you. really good. L- let's let's move on now to another directorial choice. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming came out. It was a a success. I wouldn't say a huge success, but a success. Um, and. Uh, director John Watts was unsure if he was going to return for a sequel, and now it sounds like he's in talks, uh, final talks, to return for a Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. There isn't really much information here, uh, but do, do you think this is the right move to bring John Watts back? Yeah, I think definitely. I think he washed the taste of the Amazing Spider-Man movies out of our mouth, and he changed the tone, established a really good tone. Got a great cast together. He got so much right yeah. with that movie that I think it'd be silly not to ask him to come back. I think it is silly not to ask him, but I'm I'm surprised he's coming back because he seemed like the kind of filmmaker that would want to go out and, uh, you know, his debut Cop Car is such a great yeah. movie, and I would I get the impression that he's wants to make. Uh, you know, other films that are not superhero movies. Less cooks in the kitchen. Yes. Yeah, but I guess 
the thing I liked about Spider-Man Homecoming is that it had a lot of the qualities I liked about Cop Car. Like, seeing that movie and the new Spider-Man, I could see that, eh, yeah, they're from the same filmmaker. So I'd say, I guess his voice was there. Yeah. And it kind of felt like he got to make a movie he wanted to, and it just happened to cost $150 bucks. Yeah. It's also interesting because Marvel, um, you know, they've done 10 years of movies. I think they're, like, at 20 films or something now, and... There's only been a, a, a few times that they've brought back a director. Uh, again, you know, Josh Whedon, Avengers. He did Avengers 2. The Russo Brothers, Captain America 2, 3, and now actually two Avengers movies. Uh, and um, Let me ask you, though. Do you know who... I mean, is it Sony or Marvel that would be calling the shots on this? On who that, should return to That's a good question. I, from what I understand of the deal... It is Sony is giving most of the creative control over to Marvel. Marvel is doing most of the production, and Sony is handling the marketing and distribution. That's not to say that Sony doesn't have a say. Yeah. Because it definitely seems like they do have a say, but I don't know. It seems like Marvel is calling the shots, to me, at least. Yeah, I have no information on that, but I do, <laughs> I do think that... I mean, he did a good job. Uh, I would want to see what he'd do, especially if it's still in high school. And the movie, I think, is scheduled for 2019. Yeah. And that, with that cast, you could easily do high school. And I'd love it if they actually empathized more on that in the sequel. Because to me, that movie's at its best when it's a high school movie and not a superhero movie. Oh, for sure. And I know that they wanted to have these big tentpole action moments, like the Washington Monument and the Staten Island Ferry and the jet scene later on. But I'm would much prefer a sequel you know they kept on calling John Watts kept on calling Spider-Man Homecoming a ground based you know movie and I wish they stuck more to the ground like the scene with the chase scene through the suburbs yeah. like that I, w- I would have liked action more like that more personality less scale yeah I hope in the sequel uh, they stick with a villain that isn't going to these big gigantic monuments and you know, I, and it, it keeps it more... You know, I would have loved to have seen the final battle take place at the homecoming dance. Hmm. And in a world where all the superhero movies and all the blockbuster world is at stake, you know, I, I kind of love that, like, you know, Ant-Man had this, you know, climax that was in the little girl's bedroom. And I, I want more of that. What I definitely want is... But like the third movie or fourth movie in this iteration to be a college movie. Like I would love from them to going to making Spider-Man high school movies to Spider-Man college movies, and then maybe he goes to get his masters, and they keep going. So it's just gonna be Spider-Man and Col- uh, Peter Parker goes through high school and then college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why Jack works at Slash Home and not at Marvel. That's why Peter pays me the big bucks. <laughs> um. Okay, lastly, uh, Sony... I think that's a good idea. (laughs) I'm not sure it's a good idea. Uh, Sony has talked about their plans to handle Spider-Man Expanded Universe Uh, in an article with Variety. You can go to SlashFilm.com and read basically the the Cliff Notes version of it. Uh, And what it is is basically Sanford uh, Pinich uh, has... uh, 
has a couple quotes. And one of the quotes is that with the Sony universe of Marvel characters, our mission is only to do what's absolutely what, what's the absolute best for each individual property. I just want to honor the original DNA. Which is weird, because Venom can't exist and doesn't exist without Spider-Man in the comics, but they're making a Venom movie with Tom Hardy that does exist outside of <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, Ruben Fleischer of Zombieland fan, fame. Um, and, uh, and Gangster Squad fame. I'm not sure if that... Can you use fame with that? Of course. <laughs> is, it, is it fame? It's it in a, fame. It's a in movie fame. people know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, according to this article, basically the pitch for this movie is it's described on a spin on the horror movie genre. And uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, what you'd expect from directors like John Carpenter or David Cronenberg. Not Ruben Fleischer. But with more pop and fun. Yeah. That's what they said, with more pop and fun. See, that's the Ruben Fleischer part. More pop and fun. So, um, you know, he says there's a dark element to Venom, and he has a wit that has always appealed to him. Uh, it basically seems like they're trying to make the thing with Venom. They're basically trying to use a uh, Marvel property to make this space set kind of like horror film. Which I think sounds kind of cool. If you're going to take a superhero or an anti-hero to a genre, horror kind of sounds like a different idea. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad pitch. It's weird, though, taking in that territory. Like, Ruben Fleischer's just not a director I associate with dark material <laughs> like that. I mean, 30 Minutes or Less is kind of a dark comedy, but... Zombieland's kind of a uh, dark comedy Yeah, but bit. those are also very... As dark as they can get, like Fred Ward getting shot in 30 Minutes or Less... Uh, they're still very commercial, appeasing movies. Yeah. They're not really, like, challenging anti-hero movies or dark, and I, I guess in overt ways. Yeah, it does seem a little odd. Um, let's talk about their other movie that's in development. That's Silver and Black. Um, Silver and Black t- centers on a mercenary known as Silver Sable and the jewel thief who operate, uh, uh, who operates under the alias Black Cat. Um, the director of Beyond the Lights... Uh, Gina Prince by the way I think yes uh, says the movie will be a buddy film in the vein of movies like Thelma and Louise and Midnight Run quote I wanted to tell a story of two damaged women who are at war with each other but need each other to survive unquote what is your what is your impression of this movie because this sounds like unlike any superhero movie I've ever heard knowing practically nothing about the characters but her as a filmmaker the way she describes it that excites me i mean i love beyond the lights and love in basketball and just the intimate relationships at the center of those movies make me think what she's saying is legit like i think she could bring uh, a more personal element or make a relationship that just feels a little bit more real in a superhero movie or comic book movie so that really interests me you know I really don't like this Spidey-verse without Spider-Man idea. I wish we could... I wish Sony was willing to cooperate with Marvel and, you know, operate within the MCU and have Marvel produce these films. But they are taking kind of Marvel's pitch. Kevin Feige, for years now, has kind of pitched that his superhero movies... are not superhero movies. There isn't a superhero genre. That he is making, you know, Captain America Winter Soldier is a conspiracy thriller. 
that Thor is an epic fantasy film. That you know, Spider-Man: Homecoming is high school a coming-of-age high school movie, and I think Sony is copying that, and it sounds like it, 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 at least they're getting that right, right? Well, we've always seen one of the movies, so we're not sure if they're getting it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it just in theory, it sounds like these ideas in theory sound cool. It's just as a fan, I wish they existed in the same universe. I don't mind or care about that so much. Like, to me, it's yeah. like, if they're good movies, they're good movies, whether they're connected or not. And pre- preferably, they would not be connected to me, and they'd just be standalone movies. I still wish that they Sony had taken that other... Uh, what was that space movie that came out? Uh, Life? Life. And it had made that a back... And, uh, uh, a unknown, you know, uh, origin story for Venom. You know, I actually think that's a really fun movie. And it was strange. I remember that whole rumor came about, which was really silly, but I also remember there not being a lot of confirmation or denial. And maybe it's just because they just thought the idea was so laughable. But when you watch that movie, you do think, I could see how someone maybe at Sony would put one and two together and think, like, maybe we should uh, branch this off or turn this into Venom. Well, you can read the whole article on SlashFilm.com. It's from Ben Pearson, who has been kicking butt while we're all at San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con waiting in lines for Hall H. Uh, ben Pearson has been bringing it home, covering all the news. So you can head to SlashFilm.com, read that article. You can read all the news on SlashFilm.com. And before we go, one more thing. Uh, you were just at the this Blade Runner installation here in San Diego. It's in this gigantic tent. I see this smoke coming em, emanating out of this tent. What is inside? Well, one of the coolest things you'll see is a spinner, an actual spinner from the movie, the vehicle. But, Life size. Yeah. Uh, and then you also get to experience the Blade Runner VR experience. I believe yeah. that's the, what it's called. And that is great. And I'm not a big VR what, what fan. What is it? It's just a chase scene. It's, and it's... Um, yeah, so it puts you inside the spinner? Puts you inside the spinner. You're going after a replicant, and it's maybe four minutes or so, and you're just flying through the city going after this other spinner, and you fly through holograms. Uh, you'll recognize certain streets or... Uh, yeah, I think you start right outside of uh, Agent K's apartment, yeah. based on how it looked. I could be wrong. But it was so much fun. Like it actually got me interested in VR. Hey, had you done VR stuff in the past? Only a little bit. The last time I did it, I was on a roller coaster, and I really didn't enjoy the experience. Yeah, when I when I saw you waiting in line for Hall H after you had done this, you were asking me questions of like, kind of trying to scheme of like how cheap could you get a VR <laughs> setup? Yeah, that's how impressed you were with this. I wanted more of it, and I I'm wondering what else it would be, but. If you love the role of Blade Runner and you love VR, I just can't see how you wouldn't like this. Um, and then after that, I'll say, once if you're at Comic-Con, you should definitely go to this event, even if you're not a big Blade Runner fan. But after the VR experience, a door opens up, there's kind of rain and smoke, and what look like extras from Blade Runner, and of course the yeah, spinner. There's like people with like umbrellas. Umbrellas, and- full-on costumes and everything. They'll ask you questions and follow you around, like asking, are you a replicant, all that kind of stuff and then there's a bar like a recreated bar from one of the movies 
Um, I'm not sure if it's an actual bar from the new one, but it looks like a bar from Blade Runner, and they have costumes there, and they have a bunch of props. Like, they have Deckard's gun, they have Agent K's gun, um, some mystery props that they don't quite specify on. And they also, before you even get in there, you can check out some great concept art from the Blade Runner 2049 and how it compares to some of the finished shots from the movie. Very cool. I've, I've seen some of your photos. I've seen photos from other people that have been in there. It looks like you're stepping inside a set of the movie. Like, it really looks like what I mean, I know if a few years back, Disney recreated the set of of the end of the line club from Tron Legacy in a building in San Diego. And it really looks like that level of detail of like, you're like, they've recreated a set from the, the movie. Yeah, that's yeah. how it felt. And it's also just seeing Deckard's gun. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, you were telling me the, the plaque next to it says that Deckard's gun... It's the same one from the original, and they're using it again for the new one. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, you can read Jack's report right now on SlashFilm.com, and he has some details, which he will research by the time you're listening to this, <laughs> um, into some of these props. Uh, and you can see his photos, all 12 of his photos, in, in this article uh, on SlashFilm.com. Uh, we're here in San Diego. Comic-Con starts today. And we're really excited to get this going. So keep checking back with Slash Film for more on all the developments coming out of Comic-Con. And we will be recording these daily and giving you the updates of what is going on here in Hall H at Comic-Con. So keep on listening. Please head over to iTunes. Leave us a review. Rate us. Uh, if you have any questions for the mailbag send it, segment, send us it at peter at slashfilm.com. And we will see you tomorrow.